0: Hello and welcome to Bad Reads, with Kira and Simon, the podcast where we discuss all the things we think about reading, but are usually too scared to say.
1: In our last episode we were talking about short and long books, and particularly revelling in super short books. Suggesting that we were only going to turn to the shortest books in our to read pile next. So naturally, I followed it up by reading a massive novel. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not even sure that I did it intentionally. But it was actually quite a nice change. And I read it in a super compulsive way that I haven't read anything in quite a while. So just to completely undo everything that we talked about last time, you really enjoyed a big old chunky book?
0: Well, oh, first question. What on earth was it?
1: <laughs> it was the second novel by Erin Morganstone. Her first novel was The Night Circus. Okay. Yeah. And the second one is called The Starless Sea. And it's a fantastical book about meta-narratives, libraries underneath the surface of the world, and kind of heroic journeys. In a way, I think you'd really like it because it's all about meta-narratives and story Mm. structure. In some ways, I wasn't entirely convinced that she pulled everything off. But even as I felt not entirely convinced, I couldn't stop reading and kept wanting to read.
0: Mm. So did that compulsion to read, did that change when and where you chose to read it? Did that mess up your reading habits?
1: I did, yes. And in fact, the second book that I've gone on to afterwards is also messing with the reading habits, but both in a kind of nice way. In the biggest change was that I started reading on, at lunchtime again. Mm. I say again, I I have gone through phases in the past. When I really get into a book, I just want to tuck it into any pocket of time that I can find. Whereas my normal reading habit is a little bit more rigid than that.
0: Let's dig into reading habits today then because I am just fascinated by how we all find the time to squeeze reading into our lives because occasionally you come across someone who says oh I never read and part of me is sort of horrified by that I'm like how oh, that's I'm not horrified that's something really snobbish but I'm like I wouldn't like to do that myself I'd feel that I would be missing <laughs> out on a lot of life through that mm-hmm. but it's another part of me that's like yeah that that makes sense like reading a book is like eight, 10, 16 hours of your time, I can definitely see how not everyone can fit that into their lives. Yeah. So maybe the first place for us to sort of start today is, where do you fit reading into your life?
1: It's a good question. And in spite of always having been a very bookish person, I have gone through phases of struggling to fit it into my life. I really sympathize with people who feel that way, especially once you get out of the habit of reading it can be really tough to get back into it. We've talked in the past to think about atomic habits and habit formation books. I've got even more into a habit kick at the moment because I'm doing CBT, which is brilliant I've become a complete um, sort of CBT nut at the moment and talking about mm-hmm. it. But what I particularly like is it's all about behavioral activation The notion with CBT, especially for low mood, is that you manage the behavior, not the mood. So all about Mm. kind of setting yourself up to get things done, whether it's getting the boring things done so you'll feel like you've accomplished something, like doing the laundry, or whether it's doing things that you actually really like doing or have liked doing in the past but aren't currently, which could include reading. Mm. So it's literally kind of scheduling it into your week which I've been trying with reading if I've gone through bad patches, as well as other things. So you might just kind of put 15 minutes of reading Wednesday evening, or you might set up a specific time for that. But actually just kind of having these slots of morning, afternoon, evening, and trying to fit in the things that you enjoy doing, as well as the things that you need to do in that. I found it really powerful for setting habits.
0: Before that then, was your reading more ad hoc, or had you fallen into a habit where you, you read at a certain time? My
1: reading was definitely more ad hoc, and I think that with the change from, the change with lockdown did diminish my reading. I was definitely a, a commuter reader. I read a bit more in audiobooks, and I also read more on my commute And I did actually read more at lunchtime in the office where there are kind of fewer options for what you do on your lunch break if you take one. I definitely lost that when we went into lockdown and had to kind of rebuild a new reading habit at home.
0: So my core reading spot is in bed. And I would say, I think I have probably read in bed almost every night. Occasionally, you know, you go away or something's come up We you go to bed particularly late, you come back from, you know, being out late. But as on a standard night, I've probably read in bed every night since I was about four. Wow. I think it's something that either my, it was either my parents instilled it in me or my primary school instilled it in me. Um, cause my parents used to read to me in bed. And then, well, when I got to school, we'd have a reading book that we were given and we had to read. And you had to read some of that each night to your parents parents so I would get into bed and read mm. from my reading book to them and then they would read to me um, and then later on it became just me reading in bed without them involved at all but because of that the sort of get into bed start reading became a routine in the same way as before I go to bed I brush my teeth and I could sort of almost no more go to sleep without <laughs> reading than I can go to bed without brushing my teeth because it would feel like yeah it would just feel like it's not quite right the funny thing about that is when I'm reading a book I mean, you were talking earlier on about really compelling books that mess up your habits. When I am reading a book that I find really compelling, I often find myself going to bed earlier to start (laughs) reading earlier. (laughs) during the pandemic, I went through... I went through quite a good reading phase, actually. I can't big myself up too much about that. I think I just happened to come across a load of books that I found really compelling. And so I started going to bed earlier and earlier to spend more time reading these books.
1: So what time are we talking about? Six o'clock in bed? At its
0: worst, there was one night when it got to seven o'clock, and I was like, (laughs) I'm sort of done with today, and that book's really good. I'm just going to get into bed and read that. That
1: sounds brilliant, actually. But you wouldn't try and sneak more time out of a lunch break or reading in the morning or something, if you're really into it, you just do it at bedtime.
0: Well, it's funny you say that, because not at lunch, I've never read at lunchtime, and part of that is I'm not particularly good at taking a clean lunch break from work, especially when I'm working Mm -hmm. from home. I think part of that is I have a tendency to sort of blend my working day a bit anyway, so I often think, oh, I need to go to the post office, it'll be busy at lunchtime, Mm -hmm. or busy in the evening, I'll go at 10 o'clock or I'll go at 2 o'clock. And then I feel like oh, I've sort of taken half my lunchtime then. So it's yeah. not very good for me, I'm sure. But I ended up not taking a clean lunch break. However, what I have started doing recently, a little bit as a, as a habit replacement, is I'd caught myself, my alarm going off, which is on my phone. I wake up, um, which I hate. I hate waking up. And I really <laughs> better than the alternative. But you know, I don't, the yeah, sure. end of sleep is not a happy time for me. So I, I grab my phone and sort of stab at it blearily. And then my phone is in my hand and I think, oh, I don't want to get up. So I start browsing Twitter or Instagram or, you know, any of the Reddit or whatever, any of those Mm -hmm. sites that you can scroll through forever. And I've thought to myself, I actually don't really want to be starting a day with reading a lot of angry people on the Internet. So I put the Mm. Kindle app on my phone. And I've now trained myself to start the day by reading some of my book on my phone, which has been a new habit. How's that going? Yeah, really good, actually. I've dug out a new sort of 45 minutes of time in my day for reading, which I didn't (laughs) know I had.
1: So I want to come back a bit to the reading in bed habit, Mm. because it's something that I have reintroduced. I'm not reading during the pandemic, so when do I find time for it? It's really nice, but I sort of wonder whether this idea is just so prevalent that you read in bed that that's kind of like, well, I'll do it because that's where you read. You know, people talk about it and you see it in the movies. And yeah, I guess for a lot of us, you get reading time in bed as a kid. But it's quite a funny place in a way, depending on the book. For novels, I find it a bit easier. For nonfiction, I find it pretty disastrous mm. if you need to concentrate. <laughs> Unless the aim of reading is to make you tired and fall asleep. I mean, I work in nonfiction publishing, so it's not to do down nonfiction books at all. But the level of attention that you have to pay to a lot of books is not necessarily conducive to getting tired and lying in bed, preparing yourself for sleep. Sort of hope
0: that I get more out of reading than just sort of lulled (laughs) into sleep.
1: Well, so I was curious about this and I did ask some friends, you know, how they read and why they thought reading in bed was the kind of primary choice and one said something interesting which even though she just lives with her husband she feels like if she reads in the living room on the sofa that it somehow is antisocial Mm. in a way that when she's in bed the concentration comes more easily because there aren't the distractions or you know the other options of tv or chatting and because there isn't that expectation so it's kind of like well obviously i'm in bed i'm going to read which I, I sort of liked, and I think there's a lot to that. It closes down all of the other choices, or even all of the other chores that you might think about if you're in a different room.
0: Yeah, there's that's an interesting point as well, isn't it? Because there's something about when I'm sort of up and going around the house, there's lots of things that I could be doing. Um, but when I'm in bed, that's sort of like, no, I've done my day's tasks and chores and now I'm (laughs) I'm free of those obligations
1: yeah and there is a sense that if you read at other times of day I found this today for instance speaking of taking a clean lunch break I took a way too long lunch break because I was reading my book and I couldn't stop and I said to myself as you do I'll just read 15 minutes and then I'll put it down And um, of course I didn't. No, I read for an hour (laughs) on top of my lunchtime. It was a very good book, and you're entirely to blame for this. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's definitely a risk. The lunchtime reading carries its risks.
0: What book was it that was so compelling?
1: So the book, and actually this is, um, it's appropriate in a way, because the book is very obsessed itself with habits and routines. (laughs) um, And it's The Rosie Project. And you recommended this to me ages ago. And in fact, another friend also mentioned it the other day, which reminded me of it. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, maybe I'll finally take a sign up on that. <laughs> Two people now, <laughs> can't be wrong. And I went and I bought the ebook. And yeah, just one of those books that I've completely fallen into. And I just find it lovely. It's so much fun has such a sense of humour.
0: Oh, yeah, it's really, it's really joyous, isn't it? It's witty, but also it's very easy reading too.
1: Yeah, and I really love the way that the protagonist dons character, how you get this juxtaposition of people's speech and then his misinterpretations. You know, So he often thinks he's doing something really well when they've been sarcastic. There are these kind of slips of meaning, but they're handled in such a sensitive way.
0: Um, I remember I read it on a long-haul flight and it was the first ever long-haul flight I'd taken and I really enjoyed this flight and afterwards I said to people, you know what, I really like long-haul flights <laughs> but in hindsight now I'm wondering if actually I just really like the LaRosie project.
1: <laughs> yeah, you found that wonderful sweet spot of having a super compelling unput-downable novel on a long-haul flight.
0: <laughs> yes, I couldn't stop reading at the time at just the moment when stopping reading was not really an option
1: (laughs) yeah if you haven't got a good book then a long-haul flight is can be quite a painful experience
0: yeah it was quite that was quite good fun because being trapped in a space like that where you can't really be distracted from your reading because there is nothing else you can get up to do Mm. which is I suppose the other place in my life where I've read a lot was on the tube or the train so when commuting I didn't, I mean, obviously before I worked full-time in London, I didn't, I didn't commute. I think mean, when you're at school or university, you don't commute in the same way. So that was quite a new, a new experience for me. And I remember, again, thinking of habits, I remember when I first moved to London and I got on a tube, there would usually be a copy of the Metro or the Evening Standard lying around, and I would pick mm-hmm. them up and read them. And I do just, there were days where I'd just flick through and just think, this is, this is just rubbish. I, why am I reading this? <laughs> So I stopped reading it and then instead I started playing like just rubbishy little games on my phone. Like, you know, those sort of addictive, like swipey games mm. where you're bursting bubbles or whatever. And I would just play those for endlessly. And I remember thinking again, like, this is just such a waste of my time. So instead I thought, well, what I'll do is as soon as I get on a tube, I'll take out my Kindle and start reading. And then suddenly, like, this just unlocked more reading time.
1: It's I think definitely the best reading habits, reading spots, are those ones where other options are closed down to you or other distractions or stimuli and you just have this contained reading space, which makes me think another very popular reading spot, mm. one that I also quite like, is reading in the bath.
0: Oh, I was going to ask you about this because I do not understand reading in the bath at all. <laughs> and I was listening to another podcast the other day in writing with Hattie Crissell, where she interviews... Uh, writers and it's very good and very fun and in one episode she said like I read all of your book in the bath where I do most of my reading and I just kind of thought how long are your baths that you do most of your reading in the (laughs) bath like maybe I'm a slower (laughs) reader than average or a quicker bath taker (laughs) yes maybe I just wash through these baths
1: but hold on a sec did Hattie Grissel read this person's book in one bath or was this a multi-bath experience well
0: she didn't she didn't go into the detail the podcast inexplicably <laughs> turned out to be about this writer's <laughs> an interview with this well, writer not a discussion of her reading habits in the bath um, although that said it has come up a few times that she reads in the bath but I like, I don't even understand the logistics of it like when I'm having a bath I'm I've got things to do in the bath like okay. I'm washing myself <laughs> so. You get into the bath and then see so you've got you've taken the book with you, have okay,
1: you? Okay, well let's start. You put some yeah. bubble bath in the bath. Okay. Which I'm gonna argue cuts down on the amount of active labor that you have to do. Because you're <laughs> sitting in the soapy bubbles. <laughs> if you agitate slightly.
0: This podcast is now a <laughs> bath based podcast.
1: And just to repeat you how to have a bath with Simon and Kiran. <laughs>
0: You consider the bubble bath part of the cleaning?
1: Absolutely. Not just us.
0: I just consider it a sort of adornment, really.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, the bubble bath is definitely part of the cleaning.
0: Okay, fine.
1: Right. It depends, you know, how sweaty we are getting into this bath, I guess, if you want to get down to it. You know, is this a bath because you just need like a muscle relax. Or if you've been for a run, agreed, slightly more active participation required.
0: Man, I could make my life so much more efficient. I've been double washing. I've been bubble bathing and soaping. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and then there's a, do you need a hair wash question? Because I agree, the hair wash gets in the way of the reading. So you're,
0: you're actually, we're going through this in laborious detail, which I absolutely love. Yeah. So you've poured the bubble bath in, you've turned the taps on, the bath is yeah. filling. And you've got yourself Mm -hmm. ready for the bath. So you've gone and got your book and brought it into the bathroom.
1: Yeah, it's next to you. Also important, getting a flannel or a towel within hand's reach. Because you're going to get in the bath. Your hands will probably get wet. And then you need to dry them. Hold them aloft so that you don't drip on your book. Uh, listeners can't
0: see this but I'm
1: <laughs> motioning you're, you're, to Simon. You're
0: miming the process of holding your book aloft yeah. so it stays out of the aloft, bubbles. So they drip. How are these bubbles in your mime? Your hands are way <laughs> above your head.
1: You need the water to drip back down the forearms right? with okay. sufficient time so that when you reach down to pick up your book You'd... the water's not going to soak the book or Kindle or reading device. So there's a
0: point here that you can read in the bath without the bath damaging the book? Yes. It's not a sacrificial lamb to the bath?
1: Yeah, no. Mm. Ideally, your book will come out unscathed, although okay. many a book has been slightly dripped upon.
0: Okay, so you've you've bubbled the bath, you've put yourself in the bath, you've held your arms aloft and they've dried out <laughs> and you've now bent back down <laughs> without water pouring down your forearms onto the book and you've picked it up. Does this happen before you carry out the kind of ablutions of washing yourself? or Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you do the
0: you do the bath work first and then read as a reward Yeah,
1: because you need the relax and the nice hot water before you get lots of crap in it you know if you're gonna like wash your hair or shave you don't want to be sat in your bath trying to relax with all of that crap floating around okay so we're doing our reading
0: first so you start the bath you get reading and how long are you how long are you reading for an hour you're sitting in the bath for an hour <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sometimes. Is the water not cold? Maybe half an hour. Well, I mean, you've also got the... the hot tap's Switching like... the tap on with the toe skill. Yeah, exactly. So just reach a little toe out. That way you don't have to put the book down. Turn the hot tap on. You're good to go. Good to keep reading.
0: The bath must be getting progressively fuller and fuller with all this new hot water you're putting in
1: sure yeah careful water level management is required and sometimes you might have to let a bit out to top up further
0: <laughs> can you do that with your toe as well can you unplug the bath and then replug it with your dexterous toes
1: oh sometimes it depends how yeah it depends how pruny your feet have yeah. got okay good grip mine has a twist to to let the plug out so yeah
0: okay so every time you have a bath, you get an hour of reading done.
1: <laughs> well, often not that long because I'm not the world's most patient person okay. in a bath, actually. So maybe half okay. an hour, let's say. Once
0: you've done that, you think, "Well, this reading's a lot of fun," but you know, I've got I've got pits to wash. <laughs> <then you>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Book down. <laughs> so you
0: put the book down, and you get you get your soap out and start all your bath stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's how it works. I mean, if you're a regular bath reader. Might just be getting in for the reading.
0: Oh, yes, maybe the cleaning is entirely unnecessary and you're just treating the bath as a sort of wet bed.
1: (laughs) Wet bed. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so not something, not a reading habit you're going to be adding to your regular repertoire, I think.
0: I mean, maybe I'd love it. I use the bath time for podcasts because I can listen to a podcast while also soaping between my toes.
1: Well, there you go. Audio reading. That could be the way forward.
0: Exactly. And I have I have listened to audiobooks in the bath, which, as we've discussed in the past, does count as reading. <laughs> Maybe I can say I read in the bath, but I read with my ears.
1: I think so. You've been holding out. So how long do you spend reading normally in your reading stints?
0: Well, now that I've got my early morning reading, I reckon I read for 45 minutes to an hour in the morning before I get out of bed. Oh. I think how much time I was spending on Twitter beforehand. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, too much. No one needs an hour of angry people to start their day.
0: When I used to commute into work before the Armageddon we're living through, my commute was about half an hour each way. And then when I get into bed, I usually read for about between half an hour and an hour, last thing in a day as well. So you know, in a day, it's probably between an hour to two hours of reading.
1: Wow, that sounds lovely.
0: Yeah, what about you? What's We know your bath one is an hour, incredibly
1: yeah, but I yeah, that's you know that's bath, maybe that's like once uh once every couple of months probably.
0: Not every bath is a reading bath.
1: But the bath reading is maybe like once every few weeks. Uh I'm not a super regular bather that makes me sound unclean but i you know <laughs> i'm a showerer
0: you can't read in the shower
1: <laughs> you can't even an audiobook i think you'd struggle
0: oh so actually is it the case that yeah. every bath is a reading bath it's just baths are infrequent
1: um yeah because otherwise the bath is boring i need a an incentive to get in the bath okay I usually feel like I should do it for the sake of my muscles, yeah. you know, relax, or for the sake of my stress levels, yeah. so that's where the bath comes in, yeah, so every bath is a reading bath. Okay,
0: yeah, okay, so that's bath reading.
1: Yeah, so bedtime reading now, I would say I'm doing that a few times a week, Okay. and maybe about an hour when I do. Um, lunchtime reading, infrequent. Mine is definitely, yeah, a bit more sporadic. And I think generally my weekdays are all a bit variable. Right. But I'm trying, I'm going through this phase, like I say, of finding that more regular habits are actually quite satisfying. So I'm in the process of trying to figure out where more regular reading fits in.
0: One of the things that I found... I was going to say a few years ago, but it must be 10 years ago, is once I got my Kindle, which, you know, I wax lyrical about the Kindle on this podcast in the same way that I complain about The New Yorker, (laughs) is because it's quite light and can hold lots of books. And also, I don't don't really like carrying paperbacks around with me because they get scuffed and damaged in my pockets and my bag. And hardbacks are too big to carry. Mm -hmm. So I didn't used to carry books around with me all the time. Whereas my Kindle I found I could carry everywhere. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I found all these like five, 10 minute gaps in the day where I could read I didn't know about. Like I'd be going to the post office to post a letter and it turns out the post offices have really long queues. And I was (laughs) like, oh, I can get 10 minutes of reading done in this queue.
1: Ah, see that I think has always been my kind of peak reading time. Maybe since when I was at school, my mum used to pick us up But she also ran her own business and she would often be late because of the nature of her business. And so we would sit reading for half an hour, an hour, waiting to be picked up from school. And I have, yeah, really fond Mm. memories actually of that waiting time. And for me, dead time was always a chance to sneak out a book. But I think I don't really mind about getting books scuffed up. I'm intrigued by... Your sense of wanting to treat them with a reverence, such that you wouldn't carry them around. (laughs) I mean, I think a paperback, in my mind, is
0: designed to be scuffed. You
1: can sort of, yeah. And my partner definitely does disagrees with me. He can't stand reading a book someone else has read because he doesn't like the spine being broken, or any sort of physical markers. But what I'm interested in really is the text inside. And the copy, in some ways, I like it even more, if it looks a bit battered and loved.
0: This came up when we were talking about bards, actually, didn't it? My fear that the book would get yeah. soggy. <laughs> it, I mean, you're, you're definitely right that it's the text in the book that's the key thing. I think when I was little, I had a few paperbacks that, obviously, the binding wasn't very good on them, and the pages all started coming out. Mm. Um, in particular, my, uh, my Calvin and Hobbes Lazy Sunday book. Yeah. And like, I read that a lot and I carried it around with me. And I think it was a binding issue. I don't think it was I manhandled it too much. But all of the pages started falling out. Mm. And I loved that book and was quite, I guess, a little bit disappointed or a bit sad when it started falling apart. And so I think this gave me a fear that if I manhandled my books too much and they would fall apart, then I wouldn't be able to enjoy them in the same way.
1: I can see that. Yeah, the thought of losing a chunk of your book is quite stirring Mm. but I wouldn't say happens very often.
0: No I don't think it does I think it's irrational. (laughs) No I think that's an old remnant of memory that isn't actually applicable but but that idea that I have to be careful with the books is sort of stuck there which maybe is one of the reasons why I like the Kindle so much is that I don't have to be careful with my Kindle Mm. and so I'm freed from that sort of fear of damaging the book.
1: Well but I sort of feel like the opposite way because if you damage the Kindle it's a piece of technology you could smash the screen or bump the edges and then for every book that you read it's damaged it's not just the one you can't just go oh crumbs i've like folded the cover back on that because the next book you read will be fine again whereas for you if you damage the kindle every book is gonna annoy you with that irritation of
0: well not to go right back at you but what i found is it's the words inside the kindle (laughs) that matter not the. (laughs)
1: Although In all
0: seriousness, the Kindle in my head is sort of classified as a working device. Like, in the same way that I classify my drill as a working device. And I I don't mind if my drill gets dusty Mm -hmm. or dirty or chipped.
1: Oh, you are such a homeowner
0: now. My drill. Yeah, I drilled something the other day. I felt so uh, (laughs) so domesticated. I mean, it was the wrong thing. I drilled the wrong hole, but (laughs) it was completely in the wrong place. But yeah, my Kindle's like that. I don't mind if it gets dusty and dirty because it carries out a function. It's not a sort of... Doesn't
1: have the magic of books, physical books.
0: Even technology like Apple devices are all like, oh, isn't this shiny and nice and the brushed aluminium and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't want to chip that. But the Kindle is sort of... Well, hats off to Jeff Bezos, but it is a sort of cheapy plastic device that I don't really mind if it gets dirty.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: I don't know if they do a waterproof one, actually. Maybe if they did a waterproof Kindle... I would consider using it in the bath.
1: Hmm. We'll look into this. Or you could be one of those people, super fancy, like, who has a bath tray.
0: Oh, yes. It might be
1: a special word, but, you know, you always see them in... I've (laughs) seen this so often, but I feel like I've seen it a lot. Probably the result of reading, like, women's online content. But I feel like I've seen this set up a lot, and there's, like, a candle burning on there, a glass of wine... A book, in some occasions, like a little succulent, although I don't know why you'd have that by the bath. A lot of them don't like that much humidity, so (laughs) terribly inappropriate spot for a succulent.
0: This podcast really is bad baths now, isn't it?
1: (laughs) For the record, I don't go in for all the candle stuff in my bath, although I could could see that. And I do, um, of my survey of friends, one of mine did say that she really her reading time and her reading habit, she really creates this sense of it being me time. I'm using air quotes there, but you oh. know, the sense of like, this is time for me and she's a parent now. And so I think that's even more important, right? That you carve out, this is time when I'm not going to be interrupted and I'm going to do something for myself. So she puts the candles on, gets comfy. And I, yeah, quite like that, making Reading something that feels special and feels like a treat—that you're looking after yourself by doing.
0: Yes, I do like that. Although I also feel a little bit like reading almost fits into my life almost more like meal times mm-hmm. than treats. In that, is a, there's a sort of daily regularity to it, um, which is not, you know, again, like first world problems and all that. It's not to say that it, you know if I didn't read, I'd somehow become ill in the same way if I didn't eat, I'd become <laughs> ill. But it's it's sort of a routine part of my life that. I do a standard, not a part of my life that I consider a luxury that I could yeah. drop. Which again sounds very elitist, does not it, saying that?
1: I think it's fair enough to recognise the things that are important for your mental health as well as physical. And I think mm. reading is really important for that for a lot of people. So that's fair enough to treat it as something that's, yeah, that's an important regular part of your day.
0: I definitely, like I know some people watch the news regularly. they watch the news every day. Mm. I. Definitely, would rather read than watch the news. And for people who are, you know, who think, "Oh, it's six o'clock. I better put the news on or what the day programme is on. It better start the day with that." Part of the drive, mm. I think, for that is knowing what else is going on in the world and getting the latest news. I mean, I've mm. always thought the actual the latest news is sort of it's only noteworthy because it's latest. It's not the most interesting news. It just happens to have happened yesterday. Yeah. Um, whereas reading for me is sort of I'm finding out about ideas from the world that are ones I've picked because they're interesting and I'd much rather read to find out what's going on in the world than listen to the news to find out what's going on in the world.
1: Yeah I think that's fair enough it reading has that element of connecting you to other people and to other ideas and maybe even sometimes has a sense of like civic duty depending on the book but you know Mm. there's a lot of learning to be done that fulfills a similar function to paying attention to current affairs.
0: So you were talking a bit there about your friend who has started to add... I'm sort of putting words in your mouth here or her mouth here, but add sort of adornments to mm-hmm. reading, so whether that's a glass of wine or a candle or um, things to enrich the, mm-hmm. the me type yeah. of it. Do you have any accoutrements that you add on to reading? Do you need a cup of tea or a glass of wine? Or I
1: think... Yeah, what I was curious about with that is whether or not those habits, whether those things trigger the reading habit, you know, in some ways, um, certain habits trigger other ones, don't they? You always do certain things together, uh, like going to bed and reading. And I wondered whether it was kind of like, I'll make myself this particular cup of tea and now it's reading time. I think that can be really useful for a lot of people. I wouldn't say that I do actually have any kind of reading treats, probably because it has almost conversely, it has usually fit into the grubby spaces of my life the tube trains, the doctor surgery waiting rooms, mm. the slightly dirty space that you find in the park to sit in <laughs> in a lunch break or while waiting to be picked up by a parent. Um, yeah, so in a way, it's it's the thing that takes me away from everything else rather than needing other things around yeah. me to ground me in my present place because I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. So I, I very much like her idea. And I think it's interesting what works for different people or it can work for different people at different times. And maybe if you're struggling to get back into a reading habit or to set a new one, having those physical things could be a help. Having a cup of tea and feeling cosy could definitely be a help depending on the type of book you're reading too.
0: Well, I've got one set of chaining that I've done, which is funny you mentioned The Rosie Project, because although it gently mocks him, I think, his idea of having a set number of meals, a set of meals that he consistently makes, yes. has sort of become an, a life ambition for me.
1: Well... <laughs> I didn't want to say this, but he does remind me quite a bit of you. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: oh, no! Nice. In the best ways. And I, I should explain to listeners that the protagonist, Don, has some pretty strong routines <laughs> that get shaken up in the course of the novel. I haven't finished it, but There are, you know, he has particular meals that he eats every single day and he schedules in his time. Actually, I mean, it could remind me of myself in a few months' time because he schedules in everything into his time, like doing his Aikido and when he goes for a run, all of that sort of thing. And if anything happens that throws him off routine, he recalibrates, reschedules and figures out where he can save time and what things have to be cut out. But it did make me think of you because... I think of you as having, like, very good routines that you keep to. Well recovered. <laughs> there's, a, there's a very good joke
0: in it later on. I like this, you may not have got to this joke, so sorry, I'll, I'll spoil this one. When Rosie enters his life, she doesn't like the fact that he has a very rigid meal plan, where every day is a certain meal. Mm-hmm. And she tells him he can't keep having the Monday meal on Monday and the Tuesday meal on Tuesdays. To get around that, what he decides to do is he uses, he uses like, a complex factorial to decide what uh what meal is going to have on every day which is complicated enough that she thinks it's random when in fact it still has got a pattern she has got spot brilliant
1: now just tell me that you've never thought of doing that
0: <laughs> <laughs> well I did start during lockdown I did start having certain meals on certain days and as we've said before and it comes up every time um, just because it's become such a, a big and draining part of my life on Mondays I read the New Yorker And Mondays is pasta night. (laughs) And I also um, have been drinking a glass of whiskey when I read The New Yorker because it seems appropriate to drink whiskey when I read The New Yorker somehow. And so this is set up a chain that I start eating the pasta. I'm like, oh, I really fancy some kind (laughs) of... (laughs)
1: Smoky alcoholic beverage.
0: Yeah. And then I pour that and then I start drinking that. I'm like... I really could sort of sit with some long-form narrative <laughs> <laughs> journalism right now, <laughs> I mean, it does it does sort of chain itself up there. For... But
1: it also does sound a bit like you're creating that mood setting with props, yes, and giving yourself a the treat of the whiskey, yeah. Especially on a Monday, that's quite
0: nice. Doing all of that on a Monday was quite a big discovery for me because, you know, Mondays are the worst day of the week, everyone knows that. Sure. And suddenly there's something to look forward to at the end of Monday.
1: I was about to say that I tend to go running on a Monday evening for the same reason, but that makes me sound awful. And I also haven't kept to that.
0: (laughs) Not only does that make me sound holier than that, but I also don't do it.
1: (laughs) I also do not do it. But the idea was the same. Yes. uh, In that I felt... When I have managed to do it, it's a really nice energizing start to the week. Yeah. Um. The problem is I don't really look forward to running, yeah. <laughs> but I look forward to finishing it.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, the, the stopping running is your favorite bit, really.
1: Yeah, the feeling as you're finishing a run and once you're done is absolutely brilliant. Hmm. Yeah, that's the only... I mean, I've been running regularly for about 18 months now i used to do it more when i was younger but it's still it's oh, it's really hard for me i still find it a painful thing to do in the way that other activities you get into a kind of flow and you enjoy the feeling
0: yeah not with running running not
1: so much but it feels nice to be done
0: hmm. i was going to ask you a little bit about how to, how to express this so it doesn't sound too unusual Reading in bed, which seems to be the sort of major place to read, really, seems to be almost a cliche of what you read. You're lying out flat, really, completely, you know, you're basically lying on your back or maybe you're propped up a little bit. When I was little, uh, my parents got a new sofa, and so the old one was going to get thrown out and I kept it and had it in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would read on uh, on the sofa as well, which is also sort of mm-hmm. lying down, almost flat, prostrate. Mm-hmm. And we talked about reading in the bath, yeah. which is another place where you're sort of lying down. Maybe not as comfy as in a bed or a sofa. But is there something about reading that requires you to be lying down?
1: That's really interesting, isn't it? The other place that I tend to read is on my sofa. Mm. But I don't sit on the sofa. I lie across it with my legs out. Mm. And it does kind of feel somehow a bit necessary. I don't know about you, but I found at university one of the really difficult things about getting the reading done was where to do it. I really struggled with this. And I remembered another friend used to read the books in bed. But she would read in bed in the daytime. But you got you got to get in in the daytime if that's where you're reading because there's so much to do. I tried this and I kept falling asleep. So I couldn't... <laughs>
0: That did happen to me as well. I remember reading, gosh, especially my first year and being like, oh, I've got this reading to do. I'll get onto bed. And I'd start reading and then like, oh God, I mean, Clarissa, I'm looking at you again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Caution. Caution applied. But yeah, even when you're not a napper, usually reading in bed in the daytime does seem to have that soporific effect. So I would end up sort of reading at my desk, which feels like a super unnatural place to read fiction.
0: Yes, that kind of sitting at a desk holding a book feels really odd.
1: Yeah, and I can read now, obviously I have to read at my desk for work, but I read on screen and I, you know, reading a novel or a non-fiction book on your laptop at a desk kind of feels there's a bit more of a, a sense of that being a normal thing to do. Though even then, actually, if I'm reading a submission, not something that I'm reading with a kind of editing mindset on, if I want to switch that off and actually engage with something as a reader, I often take my laptop over to the sofa mm. and sit there because I feel like it does engage a slightly different way of thinking about the material that you're reading.
0: Are you reading full-length books on your laptop, or are these sections and extracts?
1: Uh, Well, obviously in the editing work, you're reading a full-length book, but you're not reading it, reading it in the way that, you know, you read for pleasure.
0: And presumably you're also, when you're editing it, you're reading it with half a mind on what changes you're making, so you're sort of more active.
1: Yeah, and if you're reading proposals for fiction editors, yeah, absolutely, yeah, you'll be reading a full novel. For non-fiction editors, you're usually reading a proposal and sample chapters. Although sometimes you have the whole book. Mm. So yeah, sometimes I'll sit and read the whole thing on a laptop. And I know other people will use their e-readers to do that instead.
0: Are you skimming it or are you actually reading it all properly the way you would if it were a book you're reading for pleasure?
1: Uh, That depends on the book. And to be honest, timing wise, no, you're often skimming it Mm. or kind of diving in and then pulling back out a bit.
0: I just suddenly imagine all of these editors sitting there like, oh, we've got a 800 page book and I'll see you in a week's time when I've read this. I'm just sitting there day after day (laughs) reading that.
1: Yeah, sadly not. Mm. Although a lot of people do end up putting their reading time outside of hours so it is that funny thing that it's a really important part of publishing but which a lot of people struggle to fit into the the working hours
0: well I was going to say if your job's anything like mine and your working hours are mainly full of emails and meetings yes. so.
1: <laughs> yeah where you get sent all of the things that you should be reading and then sent questions yes. about them
0: have a discussion with other people about them and then
1: I don't actually get to read them <laughs> or do any work on them in terms of thinking about like the position that we read in, it does seem like it requires a certain amount of relaxation. And maybe that's also the kind of body positions that you're used to putting yourself in for other tasks. You know, when you're sitting or standing, it sort of suggests other things. And maybe part of that setting the mood or that switching off from worrying about doing other things is if you recline, it's kind of like, oh, well, I'm reclined now. So I'm going to read.
0: Part of it is I almost wonder when I'm reading, I'm sort of giving up on my physical body almost. I'm like, I'm going to a mental Space now where my brain is processing mm-hmm. these words and I don't really need my body. So I'll just like, oh, let's lie it down somewhere so it's out of the way.
1: <laughs> it's a bit matrix, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, it's one of the weird things about switching to the Kindle is I remember reading in bed and having these like minor dilemmas about how I should position myself. Like, do I lie holding the book out in front of me or do I lie on my side with the book to one side? And what mm-hmm. do I do, when I change page from the left-hand page to the right-hand page, do I have to roll over so the book is opposite? Or do I have to then position the book up so that then the opposite page is then causing a shadow over it? <laughs> All of these ergonomic <laughs> issues suddenly came out. Yeah. Whereas with the Kindle, that goes away because it's basically a <laughs> static device. You never have to position it. Although I did at one point reach, I think, peak ergonomic efficiency because um, I got for Christmas this sort of articulated arm that clamps onto a table that I've been using with my iPad for video conferencing calls and things. But I clamped it onto my bedside table and put the Kindle into it and I positioned it exactly in front of my face. And so I didn't even have to hold the Kindle up.
1: (laughs) That's remarkable.
0: (laughs) So yeah, that was a new new high point in my reading life.
1: In some ways, literally.
0: Mm.
1: I sort of, do you feel like you ever miss... Though that sort of ergonomic battle, because I definitely, as you were saying that, I thought, yep, rolling over, especially if it's a big, you know, a chunky book or a hardback, uh-huh. you're not going to sit holding a hardback up aloft in front of your face, especially not if it's been arm's day. <laughs> <laughs> so you, gotta, you know, you got to find something to take the weight. Yeah. There's always a certain frustration, but pleasure at the same time thinking trying to find the ideal reading position i remember that especially as a kid where i would often read lying stretched out on my stomach you know propped up on arms and i would get really frustrated with my body when it didn't like when it got too stiff didn't comply it was like do you understand it's reading time why aren't you facilitating this and you'd have to try and squirm around to find a different spot
0: i remember that very much in fact my dad is an artist and over the course of my life he's painted various portraits of me and at least three of them I can think of, of me as a child reading in various positions mm. one of them is me lying on the ground with the book laid out in front of me and my lying on my stomach reading like that <laughs> um, and I think one of the reasons I was reading like that was probably because yeah. the book was too big for me to sort of hold up in any other way
1: and also a lay flat book especially if you're a young kid is ideal for being just kind of flat on the floor in front of you
0: I'll see if I can dig out. could any of those portraits and add them to the show notes
1: that would be great to see
0: one of them is me in bed reading true to form i think i must be about seven or eight
1: (laughs) did your dad come and paint you during your evening reading time or did he say right need to do a painting in bed time to read well
0: weirdly i don't have any memories of the reading one i can't remember where that picture came from Hmm. it may be a photograph maybe um, the one of me lying on the ground, I do remember being painted. I think I used to lie like that regularly, and I think he obviously decided he was going to paint it, and I remember him asking me to pose for that. At the point at which he painted it, he'd said, will you lie there and, and pose for reading? And I'd let, laid there and pose reading with a book, but then read the book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> only natural.
0: <laughs> one of my habits is when we finish recording this podcast, I turn off the mic and close my laptop down, and then I go back to my book. So today... I'm reading a book called The Panic Years uh, by Nell Frizzle, which is, she's a journalist and she was in her late 20s, early 30s and her relationship broke down and just as it did, she realised she was at that sort of point in her life where, I don't want to use the phrase the ticking of the biological clock because she's intentionally sort of trying to expand and complicate that idea, but she realised that there was this point where, her decisions were limited by biology. And she had this period of, what am I going to do? And it has the lovely subtitle, The Mother of All Decisions, which uh, is a great pun. Um, and it's very witty and very well written, actually.
1: Lovely. Well, I must confess, I have read The Panic Years as well. Have you? Actually, oh. yeah. I very kindly just let you carry on with that description because I <laughs> liked hearing how you would summarize it. I'm fascinated that you're reading it. I found it definitely was interesting the ways in which her concerns and feelings as someone in her 30s both mapped and didn't map on my own feelings. But I think she writes really powerfully about the sense of panic that people can feel around the decision to have kids or not to have kids or when to have kids and, and the feeling of pressure that builds up as more and more people around you do. It's a really lovely blend of memoir with considering a subject that her readers might be going through themselves.
0: I think that sort of personal history hooked onto a particular topic has sort of become one of my favourite formats to read, really.
1: Yeah, it's having a wonderful moment. It's a great way into different topics.
0: I'm only about 10, 20% of the way through it at the moment. I love her writing, and even though the topic is not necessarily uh, one that's got any personal connection for me, I'm finding the sort of discussion of the thoughts and her exploration of it so fascinating.
1: Wonderful. Well, I'm going back to the Rosie project because I have just sort of been counting down the hours today, really, until I could get back into it. (laughs) And I'll probably spend many hours on the sofa stretched out and then in bed stretched out, enjoying that.
0: Well, if any listeners have any other reading habits or positions or techniques that they think we should uh, try out, please do get in touch through our website, badreads.co.uk, or you can tweet at us. Uh, at Bad Reads Podcast.
1: Thanks again for listening.
0: Thanks for joining us again this month, and we'll be back with another episode on the first of next month.
1: Oh gosh, waterbeds are awful.